Welcome to Orange Crest Community Church and OCCathome.com. We are so glad you're here. At OCC, our mission is to invite people to take their next steps with Jesus. And so we pray that through our time together, you're encouraged and challenged to move forward in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for listening. Welcome to Orange Crest Community Church. We're excited that you've joined us. And I'm Josh Delarosa. And last week we launched into this new series of messages, really setting up the context for a 10-week series. We're going to be in a 10-week series uh, looking at the journeys that Jesus took with his disciples during his three-year ministry. Now, we're going to be looking at stories from the first four books of the New Testament. That's the second uh, division in the Bible. There's one major uh, section called the Old Testament, and then a smaller section comes next, the New Testament. And in the New Testament, there's four books. The first four you come to are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These are known as the Gospels. They're the biographies of Jesus' life. And they happen in a handful of different settings. So we're calling this series uh, Mountains, Valleys, and the Moments in Between. And, and last week we looked at how in Jesus' day, and even still today, real life happens right in the valley. That's where we live. Uh, but vision comes on the mountain. And so what Jesus would often do is he would draw people out of their village homes and lead them on a journey to new perspective and higher vision. And that's what we want to do in this whole series over 10 weeks. And so we left off last week with Jesus calling out uh, 12 different apostles from amongst his disciples. The, the disciples were the larger group of followers, and he had a group of them journeying with him up a mountain, and then he, he pointed out 12 uh, men that became his apostles, those that he would send out. And this all happened in a in the northern region of Israel, uh, near a town uh, known as Capernaum. Just north of that uh, were some mountains. And well, he he calls out his apostles, and then with the whole group after he's named these uh, the specific group of twelve that would really be much closer to him and journey with him and and really uh, be a part of his whole teaching ministry. Uh, Jesus takes that whole group down the mountain. And he discovers a larger crowd, a group of people who uh, in the valley were beginning to bring their friends. The news about Jesus had already spread. And so people from the regions were coming because they wanted to hear Jesus. They wanted to learn from him. They wanted to seek healing from him. And every day, uh, the buzz about Jesus just kept spreading. And so here we are again, seeing Jesus inviting people to join him up on a mountainside. So let's look at Matthew chapter 5. We'll pick up in verse 1. And read through uh, verse 12 to begin. It reads this. When he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain. So again, he draws up uh, to higher ground. And it says, after he sat down, his disciples came to him. People uh, came in a little closer. His followers got up close. Then he began to teach them, saying. Now, what he does is he journeys up uh, this hillside. Most people believe that this was on a site, a nearby site, a plateau. And here are some pictures from that region. Uh, This is the uh, site many believe that Jesus delivered the Sermon on the Mount from. And so it's just above the the village of Capernaum, which is just beside the Sea of Galilee. And here is just a picture looking up from the sea towards uh, this this, uh, supposed site of the Sermon on the Mount. Now today on that site there stands a church right there. It's It's known as the Church of the Beatitudes. It was built only 80 years ago. Uh, but this church actually stands just beside the ancient ruins of a of a fourth century church built on that same site, again to commemorate the area where they believe Jesus delivered the Sermon on the Mount. But from that church 
today, you'd be able to see this amazing view. Uh, you've got the Sea of Galilee in the background. Here's also just a picture of, of what it would look like to be at that spot, uh, even looking down towards, um, towards the sea. Uh, now, why not just address the crowd down in Capernaum? Why not just address them in the village? Well, it's because clarity comes from above. And we mean that in different ways, in two different ways. Uh, getting to higher ground in elevation allows you to see things differently. But also, clarity comes from up above in the sense of God wants to speak to us. He has a word for us. He, he had a word for them. So Jesus drew them to a higher ground. Now, you'll see this pattern over and over. He just wants to raise people's sights above their, their earthly, normal perspective and draw them higher. And So let's see what he says to them in verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit. This word blessed just means happy, favored, full of joy. So blessed are the poor in spirit. Now that that is a strange picture there. You're happy if you're poor in spirit. To be poor in spirit means you're, you're empty. It means you're bankrupt. You've come to the end of yourself inside, in your spirit. You're essentially saying, God, I need you. I am poor. I have nothing to offer. Well, he says, for those who come to that place, they're blessed. And it says, for theirs, or for the kingdom of heaven, is theirs. Now, this is totally upside down, isn't it? Let's keep reading. Verse 4. And he tells that crowd on the mountainside, blessed are those who mourn. Essentially, when we're honest about our hurts and our pain, he says, for they will be comforted. See, God brings the help. He brings the support that you need in life. How different from the world's approach, which is sort of, hey, when you're going through something hard, when you're in pain, when you're grieving, you just sort of step that down. You put on a happy face and you stay busy with your life. And, and Jesus says, now blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Uh, let's look at verse 5. Blessed are the humble for they will inherit the earth. Now the humble, that's those people who take the lower position. They voluntarily choose a humble approach to life. They humble themselves. They let others go ahead of them. This is an emptying of our pride. He said, those people who do that are blessed, for they'll inherit the earth. Now, as I read through this, just think of how backwards this must have sounded to them and to us today. Look at verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Then he says, blessed are the peacemakers. This is different from peacekeepers, but this describes someone who helps initiate peace between people who are at odds with each other, even enemies, whether us and other people or even us to God. Uh, for those who do that, God says, Jesus says, they'll be blessed in this life. Verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. So essentially those who are willing to suffer for doing what's right before the Lord, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. And then he says, you are blessed when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Now he's preparing this group of followers. He's saying, look, if you follow me, this is going to be a difficult road ahead. You'll encounter all sorts of opposition. Then he says in verse 12, be glad and rejoice because your reward is great in heaven. For that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So those who suffer for Christ are in good company, Jesus says. Now the world tells us that the good life involves power, money, trouble-free living. And then Jesus comes and he says, let me flip that upside down. 
and I'm going to draw your attention to a very different way of life. And so he takes them to a different setting up above the valley so that they can think differently and consider this new way of living. Now, I'm sure in that crowd, you had a mix of people. Some of them, you know, think about the apostles. They were more convinced than the others, but they were still wrestling through some of their own doubts and concerns. They must have been grateful that Jesus called them and that they weren't alone. But then there had to have been also some people who must have been thinking, do any of you actually believe this guy? They're listening to his words so upside down from the culture. Like, really? The humble, the pure in heart, the poor in spirit? Is he serious? But you know, at least they got to hear him teach. Remember last week we said there were some people probably who just didn't take the time out of their busy lives down in the valley to listen to Jesus. They just decided, you know what, I'm staying down here. And so I, I want to pause for a moment. I want to commend you. I want to commend you even just for taking the time to set aside to take in this message. You set the time aside to get into God's word, to get out of bed, to really sort of protect and carve out some time to head up in a way, to head up the mountain and to gain vision for your life. A lot of people won't do that. They won't take the break from their routine, but you have. Now, then he challenged the group with these words. Look at Matthew 5, verse 13. Through 16. He says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You're the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather they put it up on a lampstand and it gives light to all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Well, hey everyone, here I am on top of Mount Rubidoux. This is a just a small hill, some would call it a mountain, right here in downtown Riverside. Just behind me is, is the downtown area of our city. And, and when I'm up here on the mountain, whenever I hike up here, walk up here, I just sort of love to, to get up top and to just sort of look around and, and really identify some different areas. I look at the freeway, kind of get my bearings. I look at uh, the downtown area, the Mission Inn, out towards UCR, and and I just sort of take in, you know, the different reference points in our city. I really encourage you sometime hike up Mount Rubidoux and check out Riverside. You know, there's colleges, four colleges in Riverside. We have uh, UCR out by that mountain in the distance. We have RCC just to the right of our downtown area. We have uh, Cal Baptist uh, over here to the west, and then off further to the west is La Sierra University, and there's over 50,000 college students here in our town. That's amazing. A, a, a large part of our population here is young people, and some of the most important decisions are made uh, and patterns are built when we're in our 20s. Those are the years when we are trying to sort out life. We're trying to make major decisions that are going to really impact uh, our entire future, and so we're positioned as a church to really be able to cross paths with all sorts of people in their training years, in their uh, opportunity season of growth and learning. And from up here, I'm just reminded and inspired of the opportunity we have to impact uh, this particular town, this uh, situation, this city. Now, behind us also, you're going to find all sorts of green patch areas. Uh, Riverside is full of parks uh, walking trails, uh, ball fields, recreational areas, 
you know, people recreate here in Riverside. A lot of people, this really represents the, the friendships that are formed here, the family life that goes on here in Riverside. And from up here, I can, I can envision also just how our church family has been positioned to connect with people who live in this town and enjoy this area. You know, God has allowed us through the years to meet and live near and invest in people's lives who later we're able to share our faith in Christ and share about our hope in Jesus Christ. You know, when I come up high like this and I, and I observe uh, our city and these opportunities, I'm reminded of why I'm here. Uh, did you know that we have over 334,000 people living in Riverside? We're the 11th largest city in the whole state of California. Uh, just behind us is, is or the 10th uh, largest city in the state is Anaheim. And, but we're growing at a pace that will likely uh, surpass Anaheim at some point and be the 10th largest city in the state. Now, years ago, back in 2006, we were playing, praying about where we might uh, move and plant our roots and, and start a new church. And so we mapped out uh, major cities in the state of California. And we also looked at where are the colleges located in our state. Where is the diverse population? And, and, and God led us right here to Riverside. And Riverside borders a handful of cities. It's, it's so densely populated right here. And so if you look at all the cities that are adjacent to Riverside, there's over a million people right here. And when I look out over these cities and I just look at and think about the many people that live right here, um, I'm burdened for them. You know, the condition of our cities, the condition of our culture and society, it seems to be getting darker and darker, which is why I need to come up the mountain and just really remind myself of Jesus' purpose and vision for having us here. And I need to be reminded of Jesus' words, those ones we just looked at, because it's easy to think that our light is, is sort of going out and out and that our culture is just getting darker. Uh, but the big question is, where do you place your hope when it comes to looking at our changing culture? Are you praying desperate prayers like, God, please fix this situation. Please heal our city. Please change our culture. Please bring back the, the good old days. Uh, it's, it seems to be getting darker. You know, part of God's plan to restore hope and to bring back change into a dark culture is, is you. That's what is so powerful about this sermon. He, he turns to this group, and rather than saying, I am the light of the world, which Jesus does say that in other places, but here he tells them, you are the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. There's a purpose that God has for, for sprinkling all of us out in this community. You're the salt of the earth. Verse goes, but if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? Don't lose your saltiness. You and I, we're right here for some intended purpose. For those of us who follow Christ, uh, he has a purpose for placing us here in this town. Uh, I, I love to salt my food. It brings salt, draws out the flavor of food. It also preserves food. And you know, that's part of what God wants to do. He has a purpose for preserving cultures by putting his people in dark cities. In situations where you feel like there's just no hope, God puts some people who put their hope in Christ there in order to sprinkle that that salt about to bring a preserving effect to bring and to draw people uh, to want to know more about the Lord. 
he tells them this. He said, if, if the salt loses its taste, then it's no longer good for anything. It's but be, to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. What Jesus is aiming to do is he's aiming to inspire people to look down the hill and to think, wow, that's me. God has put me right here. He, he's asked me to be a part of what he's doing to save this culture. It's a very powerful picture. He also continues and he says, you are the light of the world. I know, yes, it seems to be getting darker, he's saying, but you have the hope inside of you. You have the light of life right inside of you, and you can draw people back to God. Now look again at the verse. He says, a city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light for all who are in the house. And in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Now, I see a lot of people wrestling right now through what is our role in society and culture. And it's sort of tempting right now to turn inward, to sort of hunker down, and to write off this place, to write off our culture. But this is our role. You are the salt. You are the light. And last year when we were walking through the craziness of 2020, I began to wonder, who might be left after all of the dust settles? But I've been encouraged because many of us have been encouraged to see just a group that is really committed to press on in faith together to create a kingdom culture we want people to experience this this little taste of heaven as they share life with us on the weekends as we worship together or as we gather in neighborhood groups you know we have 11 different neighborhood groups in 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 areas all throughout this city 250 plus adults are involved in our groups so we've got room for more so we invite you to jump into a group and be a part of this salt and light here in Riverside. You know what God wants to do is he wants people to, uh, through our own lives, to see something unique in us and then to look up to him. That's what this verse says, Matthew 5.16. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. You're a part of God's answer to the problems all around us. Don't forget that. You're a part of it. You're a part of the solution. As you shine your light, people look up to God and want to know, you know, there's hope in them that I don't have. And I want to know what that is. And that's what we've seen. We've seen Jesus highlighting the good that he's doing in others and drawing many to himself. And after he shares from this portion of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus then he just goes on to teach about life in the kingdom. And he starts explaining a new way of living a new way of relating to, to one another, a new way of relating to God. And, and in that Sermon on the Mount, the rest of it, you see just how radically different this new way of life, this kingdom culture, really is from the way of the world. Now, it's really true that clarity comes from above. When I was up on top of that mountain, I could see the railroad lines. And I know there's a train track in Riverside, and occasionally I have to stop for a train. But it was the first time today... This is the first time I've actually looked and noticed where that railroad line, those railroad tracks actually cut through town, in which neighborhoods they cut through. And I actually thought, wow, that's really interesting. And there was a really long train, you know, just that it, it seemed like to span, it spanned the whole town. And, you know, I could notice where the downtown really was concentrated versus the suburbs, the neighborhoods around. I could see where the freeways cut through, and I was just sort of taking things in. And the higher up you get, you just get a very different perspective. 
Now, Jesus' full sermon in Matthew 5-7, through it touches on all sorts of topics. Topics, and I'll just give you a few that I want to highlight. Like the first, uh, one of the first ones he comes to in Matthew 5, around verse 21, is, is he talks about anger, how you handle your anger. You know, we all get angry with each other. We get angry with friends. We get angry in family life. Sometimes we get angry with strangers. And we're just having a rough day and someone pokes us and we sort of just burst out in anger. Some people have a long fuse. Some some have a short fuse. But, but most of us understand this. It's just a challenge uh, to not ever battle anger. Well, Jesus talks about this issue of anger. And look at what he says in Matthew five twenty three and 24. He says, so if you're offering your gift on the altar and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, he sets this scene. Essentially, you're at worship and you're presenting an offering to God at the altar. You're about to give him something as an act of worship. You're giving your offering in a sense. And while you're there, you remember that your brother or your sister has something against you. You you realize you're about to offer this thing and you realize, oh man, my close friend and I, uh, there's an offense where still the, the relationship is still damaged. Now, what do you do with that? Now, in the verses before, Jesus has just highlighted the importance of dealing with our anger because anger can just fuel horrible things. Horrible things. And so, look at what he advises. He says, Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled with your brother or sister and then come and offer your gift now, what we see in our world is this. When you get angry at someone, most movies, TV shows, you just sort of see that people damage relationships and then they leave a trail of bodies behind them. A lot of times you, broke, you break uh, relationships off once there's sort of a, an angry outburst. And then you just move on. you got to find new scenery, find new friends. Jesus says, hey, here's a new way. This is the way of the kingdom. We clear things up. Stay reconciled. Work through it. No, it's not easy. I never look forward to having to have a clearing up of a relationship. But I'm so grateful that I'm committed to that. And I'm so grateful that our church has said, hey, this is one of our, we call them our hard attitudes. This is one of the commitments we make to clear up our relationships. They're not easy to do, but you know what? It allows us to flourish in our relationships over time. Well, Jesus says, hey, this is part of the kingdom culture that we're trying to create amongst this group of people. Then he shifts the focus, the next set of verses on in that sermon, and he just hits topic after topic after topic. So I'm just going to give you a few. So that's one related to our anger. Another one here is related to lust. And here's what he says related to lust. He said, he writes, or he tells them, you've heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. <laughs> Whoa. Then he makes some extreme statements using some hyperbole. He basically says, look, if you, if your eye causes you to sin, because he's talking about lusting after someone, if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. <laughs> he says, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. <laughs> and there's actually a really good scene in The Chosen. There's a series right now looking at the life of Jesus and how he chose his disciples. Uh, you can, you can find that in the app store, Apple store, Google store. You can uh, download uh, that. But there's a scene where Matthew, one of the followers of Jesus, he's such a literalist in the show and in the miniseries, the way they depict Matthew, that he he tells Jesus, there's going to be a whole lot of one-eyed people walking around. (laughs) 
And now, Jesus, what are you really saying here? Matthew, in that scene, took it very, very literally. Uh, Jesus is actually saying this. Look, he's saying, take exceptional action to avoid lust. You have to get serious about this whole area. Men, men tend to lust for, for, for sexual purposes. Women tend to lust for emotional purposes. Guys mostly lust because of the pleasure it brings. Women tend to lust because of the relational component. And what Jesus is saying is, look, whatever you set your eye on kickstarts an emotional and sexual nudge. And so you have to take this area seriously. He's trying to teach them about the kingdom way of living. And so we're to be people who, who really take our thoughts uh, seriously. And we ask Jesus to bring our thoughts under his control. Again, powerful words from Jesus on this sermon. He's trying to get people to have a different perspective than the world around them. Then he shifts to talk about this. He talks about divorce in our and, and in our culture, we have a very, very casual approach to divorce. And what we see in Jesus' sermon is that man, God's standards are just very different than our standards. Most people think that if they feel love, then they will love. But it's actually the other way around. If you will love, and you did vow to love that other person, then often the feelings will follow. And now Jesus, he goes on to talk about how divorce should be a last resort for marital unfaithfulness. Uh, Paul also in the New Testament, one of the New Testament leaders, he wrote a letter uh, to one church and he makes another exception regarding uh, marriage and divorce, which is tied to if if a spouse is abandoned by an unbelieving um, spouse, um, then they're free to remarry. Um, But, you know, with there's basically, Jesus is calling us to fight for marriage. You know, I I know some... um, you fought for your marriage and it ended in divorce for whatever circumstance. You know, there is grace uh, that covers that. And But Jesus just goes on. He says, look, fight for this area. Take this area seriously. Uh, what we see throughout the Sermon on the Mount is the world has a certain way of handling things and Jesus calls people to a different standard. Uh, then Jesus talks about keeping your word. And then he just he talks about the importance of uh, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Your word should be like your oath. And then he just goes on and on and on. Like, what do you do when you get taken advantage of? He talks about going the extra mile, trusting God. Or what do you do uh, when you find that you're at odds with someone, you have an enemy? What do you do? Well, Jesus says, well, pray for them. Pray for your enemies. Don't just pray for people who are easy to love. Pray for your enemies. Love your enemies. Uh, there's a section in the Sermon on the Mount where he talks about giving and praying and, and fasting and how... We're to do those spiritual disciplines and um, practices, not for credit, but in secret. Jesus says, look, God sees the right motive and, and he will bless the right motive. Then there's some, there's some teaching that he gives on our resources and how we're to put our resources into things that will last. And then he talks about building God's kingdom as a priority, the highest priority in your life. And if you'll do that, that will keep worry from consuming you. And on and on. You can read more about these uh, little sermonettes that Jesus gives in the Sermon on the Mount. So at the end of Jesus' sermon, here's what the scripture reads. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching because he was teaching teaching them like one who had authority and not like their scribes, their, their teachers. There was just a different 
power and authority that Jesus had. But he knew that this sermon, this lesson on the hillside, wasn't going to be enough. He knew that they needed to actually see this stuff lived out. And so right after the sermon is over, he says, hey, everyone, let's go down the valley. You need to see this in real life. Because this new life that he's calling them to is more than just a theory. This is not just a a good idea that he shares in a classroom lecture. This is the way of the kingdom, and it's God's plan for our lives. Let's go back one more time to that verse, Matthew 5, 14, where Jesus said, You are the light of the world. I want you to see this time lapse. And as the sky goes darker, you've probably seen a city time lapse before where the sun sets and then you start seeing the, the sky get darker and darker. And then you start seeing the city lights coming on. Jesus is saying, look, you are the light. God wants to use your life to shine brightly right here and right now. And can you see further in the daytime or in the nighttime? Well, you guessed it. You can see much, much further in the nighttime. That's why we can see stars. We can see stars that are light years away. If you think about how far away the stars are, you can see these stars. You see them because in darkness... Light stands out. So let's shine brightly together right where God has placed us. I want to encourage you on some next steps to uh, consider getting uh, after this week in your life. The first one is this. It's, it's to read Matthew 5 through 7. Read these verses, these chapters, these three chapters of the Sermon on the Mount and reflect on the principles of kingdom living. What I hope is as you do that, that God will just sort of prick our hearts and then we would say, you know what, God, I want to pray through that. I want to spend a little bit more time uh, thinking through how that applies, and then maybe figuring out how do I work that into my life. Second thing, identify where you need to shift from listening to living out. You know, a lot of times we could just be like those people who journeyed up the mountain with Jesus and thought, man, that was interesting, and then they go right back down into the valley and they do nothing different. I think it's important for us to identify where am I doing that? Where do I know more than I'm actually applying? And then I can start taking those action steps. Third thing is this. I want to encourage you again, get outside or head up higher and pray for our community. That was something I really enjoyed today, was just being up above the city to see God's vision for the people in this community. So let's wrap up with a word of prayer. Father, thank you for our time as we've looked at the Sermon on the Mount. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for all that you shared and how it is still true and relevant here and now. Father, I pray that we would gain a a heart, more of a heart for the people in our community that you've placed us around. Help us also, Lord, to embrace fully uh, the way of your kingdom. This culture, Lord, I pray that that would uh, grow more and more and be, uh, be the way that we relate to you, Father, and to one another. We ask you for the help and the power to do this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for joining us today. We pray you were encouraged by the message and equipped to take your next step with Jesus. Visit us online at occathome.com to learn more about how to connect with us. And join us again next week for another Orange Crest Community Church podcast. Have a great day.